Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning, we have with us Dr. Chris Wolf. I cannot believe we have Chris Wolf. He's joining us from the great state of Tejas, Texas. All righty. And do you care to say which city? Sure. Uh, Houston, actually. I've heard of that. It's a big one. I've heard of that city. Uh, I've lived in both Houston and Dallas, and they always ask me, you know, which do you like better? And that's that's the big rivalry down here. It's between those two. Houston and Dallas. Gotcha. Well, uh, welcome to the Republican Professor and um, great to have you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be on here. I'm, I'm glad you're doing this podcast, Lucas. Uh, Thank you. You know, it's uh, we were in graduate school together. Gosh, is it maybe like 10 years ago now? Yeah. Uh, so now you years. are all grown up and you're teaching, right? Where are you yes. teaching? Yeah. So straight out of graduate school. Um, and rather grad, than graduate thinking, school you know, was in Compton, right? Yeah. Straight out of Claremont. Straight out of Claremont. Uh, I. Um, Rather than staying in Claremont to write my dissertation, I actually went back home uh, to Arkansas, where I'm from, and wrote my dissertation there I think for it's a year. Per- I think it's pronounced Arkansas. Just, I just thank you. Thank I'm you just uh, for the correction. I don't want you to be embarrassed, <laughs> you know, at a grocery store or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, um, yeah. So uh, it was really good to go back home and. Uh, but what part of Arkansas are you from? Little Rock, Little Rock. Um, yeah. And born and raised 18 years, you know, so. Um, Did you really for good Bill Clinton? <laughs> yeah, not my favorite. Um, the. Um, but, you know, when we were in graduate school, we didn't really have many opportunities to to teach, even at the adjunct level mm-hmm. in Claremont. Right. You know, and so. Um, well, I, I taught a lot, but yeah, it wasn't see, I, I couldn't Claremont. even get those jobs that you were getting. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, um, well, we, I would. That's because I had to pay to have those jobs. They they would actually take money from me. <laughs> they have adjunct jobs like that. And it's <laughs> yeah, it, it's just I think that's actually I'm, the definition of an adjunct job. Actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, I'm waiting for the unions to finally come in and bust up you know, the businesses that I don't like, like Starbucks and Amazon and, um, you know, teaching. Uh, um, but they don't seem to allow you're, say, you're saying the unions, you're waiting for the unions to do that? I'm waiting. Yeah, I'm waiting for strikes to happen amongst adjuncts. Oh, um, strikes. Yeah. Well, I have some experience with that. Of course, I've uh, interacted with unions in the past uh, on public campuses. We had a union push at Loyola Marymount. I was not a part of it. They tried to get me to be involved in the union. I said, there are already unions on, uh, on secular government campuses, um, which is just a, a government version of Loyola Marymount. In other words, they're Democrat. They're all Democrats, uh, but they're just... Um, Allegedly, they're they're publicly funded entirely. Loyola Marymount is actually publicly funded as well because no one could be, afford to go there if it wasn't for these um, the school loans that the government uh, hands out like candy. Which we might get uh, bailed yeah. out. They keep on right, right, dangling in so, front of everybody. Yeah, yeah so that and it's such a huge problem. So, but um, but yeah, there was a union push and uh, they tried to get me involved. And in fact, the guy that tried to get me to sign the union card, I had him on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, no, so, I don't seriously think that a adjunct teachers union would actually. Well, uh, I've seen and I've seen the union and it's totally. I, I, I mean, it, it doesn't really solve. No, the issue. In fact, it was odd that there there was a union push at Loyola because at the time Loyola was probably the best place to work for me. And I had had taught at at least a half a dozen schools Mm -hmm. and, uh, and now I've taught at a dozen schools 
So, and, and now they're all screwed up. Loyola is screwed up too, but a union, it's, I don't it, know if it would have fixed. I'm not sure. I'm going to have the guy back on and I'm going to, I'm going to be open-minded because um, he's a very thoughtful guy and we're going to have Eric Greenberg back on, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. Um, he might be able to convince me, but he tried to, he, he came into my office and I, he asked me to uh, sign a union card. And I said, I said, Eric, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a Republican. <laughs> and he uh, pulled out an NRA card. <laughs> and he, and he I've got a federal society card in my, in my wallet. And yeah. he said, he said, I'm a member of the NRA and I'm pro second amendment and we have some common ground here. And I, we talked about this on the podcast, so mm-hmm. that's the reason I'm sharing that. But anyway, um, so Our, you're full time, right? Are you tenure track? Yeah. Yeah. So where, they, where uh, do you teach? I just, I teach at university of St. Thomas. Uh, it's okay. the one Catholic liberal art, one Catholic school and one Catholic liberal arts school. And, and they're recognized for actually, um, being true to the Christian uh, faith that they are represented representing. I mean, so they, they get to be, shouldn't it be conservative arts then? Well, it's liberal in an old sense of free, like classical liberal, you know, uh, free, Uh, freeing arts. Classical Um, liberal. Yes. Uh, And so, um, so they, I mean, so they're in fact featured in this thing called the Newman Guide, and it's named after Cardinal John Henry Newman, mm-hmm. Catholic, uh, yeah, saint. Now he, but he, uh, you know, uh, wrote a really great book about what universities should actually aim at instead of the junk that they do aim at now. <laughs> called the idea of the university. It was like, you know, of course, written 150 years ago. Um, I've heard of and, the book. I've never read it. It's really, really good. Um, but anyway, so they have this group called the Newman Guide. And 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 there are a feature about 10 different Catholic universities across the country. And St. Thomas is one of them that they would say actually is trying to do what a Catholic university should try to do. Uh, I'm sorry, but Loyola, Loyola Marymount is not featured in the, the Newman Guide. Um, doesn't bother but, me, <laughs> yeah, but, um, uh, but you know, so you have to apologize to me. So, you know, all three years that I've been there at St. Thomas, I've, I've just been outstanding. Uh, and thankfully I got there right after hurricane Harvey. So I didn't have to deal with any of that crap, you know, and, uh, and, uh, it's yeah. just been a great place to work. Is, are you, are you in your office from the school right now, or is this your home? No, this is at home because actually I, I got COVID earlier in the week, but I'm already recovered. You know. Oh, would you mind wearing a mask for the rest of this uh, interview? <laughs> the mask. I'm sorry. I just feel... they went out the door a uh, long time ago, my friend. Uh, wow. They, uh, I don't know what, I mean, I, I know you're still in California and it's, you know, it's still a debate, but I mean, the, the one the one big debate here was over the hairdressers and then also how soon they could open the bars and at what percentage. Mm-hmm. And that's the, really some of the only stuff that they, you know, mm. locked down further than, you know, the, yeah. whatever, the, what was that called? Uh, stop, you know, stop the bend the curve or whatever. Yeah. Or, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. The first time. But <laughs> Well, what are you teaching? What kind of I'm courses teaching- are you teaching? I'm in a very small department, so I'm, you know, teaching literally four or five political science classes, but I always teach an intro to American government mm-hmm. an intro to Texas government, which has been fun. I'm, I'm not even from Texas. I'm from Arkansas, but I, I right. loved, love getting into Texas government. Yeah. Um, I teach a religion and politics class, which is very similar to the one that we took at CGU, I think. Sweet. Uh, with Mike Gilman, where we learn. Do you have the syllabus for that by chance? The, I do. Oh, okay. And I think I'd like know, to get a copy of that. I, I, I might have it somewhere, but I, I'm not sure if I do. It's half and half. It's half. Um, I mean, do you have Yulman's? You have Yulman's. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, cool. 
Yulman's, well, actually, Yulman's was even a little bit different because he started off with a book that I'm going to be writing a review of soon, a very old book called The Ancient City by Fustel de Collange. I have that book. Yeah, yeah. So he started off with a little bit from the middle of it. And uh, just to kind of show you what the ancient world was like, where, I mean, there was no freedom of religion. There was no individual liberty in pagan Rome or pagan Greece. Mm -hmm. You know, Christianity introduces liberty. (laughs) You know, as much as liberals today might hate Christianity, they're the ones who actually first made it a going concern in Western civilization. Um, There's a constant push to make Christianity just paganism. And Uh, that's, yeah, uh, that's the other, you know, from within uh, Mm -hmm. problem. Uh, And, um, you know, we have enemies from without enemies from within. Uh, And, um, you know, and so, that was the first lesson from Muleman on religion and politics was, was that. And then, and then there's a really good book uh, by Hudson who did the, a, a, a um, library of Congress exhibit. Is that a book that has pictures in it? Yes. It's the I, picture I, book. I know the book. I, have I liked it. it. I yeah. liked it. James yeah. Hudson. Um, and uh you know, he, I mean, for whatever reason, a lot of historians kind of just took it for granted a certain narrative about the founders and, um, and the relationship between church and state that they all believed in a high wall of separation between the two and that, you know, religion wasn't supposed to influence politics. It's insane. Even, I mean, they based that off of, you know, they based that off of Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists, right, which is completely not representative of the writers of the Constitution mm-hmm. and the writers of the First Amendment, right? Um, you know, and so, and so the, the book that we read to kind of unlearn that with Yulman was uh, Hamburger, Philip Hamburger, um, who I, you mentioned on. Uh, on Facebook that you're going to have on here, uh, separate yep. church and state. Uh, yes. He's not coming on for that book. He's coming on for uh, purchasing submission, which is his latest book. Ah, I haven't heard about that one. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm excited too. I got to, I got to finish it before, before yeah. I have him on. I'm i I'm most of the way done with it. It's really very readable. Yeah. It's very good. So he's done one on the administrative state. He's and yeah. what was he about? he's done. He's done quite a few books. Yeah. I think he's done a half dozen or so. What's this one on? Uh, well, you'll have to find out. No. <laughs> <laughs> but with hamburger, it'll be good. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then. Um, yeah. And then yeah. His, uh, his separation of church and state book was a real eye opener for me, too. Um, so I, I love the uh, the take on it. The critical take on it just let's take a look at this let's dig into this now what about drakeman donald drakeman yeah that drakeman he's got a new book out too yeah and and he he started doing a lot of stuff on free speech lately okay uh but but yeah drakeman was another volume that we read for yulman in there i think it was called um original intent yeah uh church state and original intent or something like that yeah and that that's really good. It, it adds just a little bit to the story to me, but it adds very, very important to it, a very, very important part. I namely, I'm going to invite Drakeman on. Yeah. Gonna, gonna, namely, make the actual amazing. drafting of the First Amendment, you know, uh, and, um, and and then the last yes. one is Munoz. God. Oh, yes. Uh, Jefferson. Madison yep. and Washington. God, God and the Founders. Yeah. God and the founders that was a yeah. great book too. I, mean, yeah. I, tr- I wonder if I could get him on. I think like so. Really Munoz. busy all the time. I, I've run into him multiple times since since we graduated, Munoz, because uh, he's kind of he's kind of a leader in that Notre Dame politics department now. Yeah. Well, maybe 
Maybe he'll come on. I'll ask him. I don't know him. I've never, I've met him. He wouldn't know me though. He was, he was a close friend of Yulman, but I mean, he, he, like us graduated from Claremont just right. maybe 10 years before us. Uh, right, right, right. So a lot of times people would say, Hey, look at, look at Munoz. He seems uh, like he's a, he's a, an extrovert to me. Yes. Uh-huh. So I think that helps him in his career because he's a people person and people like him and he's a good scholar. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, send that over to me if you can. Can you uh, Xerox it and fax it over to me? I might have a copy of it. I just don't know where it is. There was another course we took from Yulman, which was a life changer for me, which is called Judicial Review, Democracy, and the Constitution. That Marshall book in there was just... Were you in that class? That was the summer of 2010. I think I was, yeah. Uh, Um, Yeah. So that was a fantastic course. Um, I hope I have the syllabus for that, too. Um, I'll have to look in my records. Did he include uh, David Bernstein, uh, Lochner, rehabilitating Lochner in there, right? I have that book. So that that's possibly where it was. I don't think that I don't think we I don't think we read that in that class. It might be. It might be. It seems to me I remember that book from a course called Perspectives on Judicial Power, which was it could have been that. Okay, it could have been that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spring of 2012, Perspectives on Judicial Power. But was this the one you were talking about? Is that the one with the Marshall book? Uh, yeah, we definitely had a great um, chief justice. Yes, we had that. Um, yeah, I mean, just nailing down Marshall is yeah. enough. Was enough for me. Uh, look, learning about the judiciary from Yulman. Uh, I mean, that that's because, I mean, both the left and the right today all want to claim Marshall because he's kind of like, he's kind of like the, the founder for that branch. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg wants to claim Marshall's mantle. Um, and once you learn more about him, you just you just realize that there's there's just no way uh, that he wasn't a conservative. <laughs> you know? and, well, he owned slaves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what the, what that's what people are going to say when you say you like Marshall. He, he owned slaves. Well, there you go. Lucas, of course I mean, you like him. Of course Lucas, you if like we him. We spill the beans on everybody that we know who could get canceled. Um, it would be not pretty. Uh, you know, uh, there's some that. Are you implying that you can be a fan of, of Marshall's jurisprudence and also condemn his slavery? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, this is, how do you work that out? How do you, how do you, how do you handle that with students? Um, well, um, you know, I don't have a good, um, speech on that actually yet in terms of like well you can hold some ideas but you know you haven't been challenged on it um i mean i don't i don't think i have actually you know i I, i've been challenged on jefferson and many other you know founders who held slaves and i usually you know talk about you know that in principle they were against slavery but you know all, you know people can be hypocritical um in not um in knowing what the right thing to do is but in their personal life not well, how do you, how would you handle this um because you said he was a conservative right and i i don't i'm not sure that that features into my thinking as far as why i like him um i don't describe myself as a conservative other people describe me as a conservative i don't describe myself that way um because i've discovered in teaching and stuff like that that uh it it typically is a conversation stopper Um, i mean you could use it as a conversation um springboard i guess because the question is what's a conservative I don't like it when it's applied to religion. Like people call me a conservative Catholic. I don't, I don't like well, that. I like the word orthodoxy. 
for well, yeah. You but know. the word conservative in some circles is thrown around as if it's a badge of honor, but I don't understand why that would be mm -hmm. the case. To me, it just seems like it's very short-sighted thinking. Um, what, the question I like to ask is, did the, did the conservatives abolish slavery? Um, and anyway, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> right, right. Um, and well, on the college campuses, it's just kind of an interesting thing to note, I guess, that I've experienced. Maybe you have a different experience, but on the college campuses, I've noticed that the Democrats typically, hmm, well, in my experience, they're, they, they shriek more if, you, uh, if you're Republican than if you're a conservative, because conservatives can be kind of, uh, there's so many things about Democrats that are conservative, right? They want Which to- Very paternalistic, you know? Yeah, right. They, well, the New Deal, let's conserve that and you know let's let's yeah let's conserve the great society let's conserve the entitlement let's conserve roe versus wade and, yeah and uh, right so I'm, i don't think they're really bothered by conservatism actually the whole adjunct tenure thing is really conservative preserving in a lot of these democrats that run the campuses they they act as if there are only two options here, you know, well, why don't you just have professors who teach students? I don't understand why you have to have all these weird <laughs> ranks and stuff like that. Um, it's very conservative to, to try to keep that stuff. It doesn't make any sense. Um, now, then now you, all of a sudden you have a, you have strange labor laws that I got into this a little bit with uh, Eric Greenberg when we had him on, he was the, the union guy at Loyola Marymount. He's now full-time at Loyola, but um, you know, he, he agreed with me. A lot of the Democrats are conservative there, but they're conserving these things that hurt adjuncts and they hurt even, but what, what he, what I was pointing out, I, I don't know if he, he probably doesn't agree with me. Maybe he does that the labor laws actually hurt adjuncts because at the community colleges in California, it was a state law that I couldn't teach more than three classes at yeah. a campus. So then I, now I have to go to a different campus. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. now I have to deal with another chair and I have to drive and I have to cause traffic and I have to consume gasoline there's all sorts of things. That do, are, do you know what the rationale was for that law? I mean, I remember that. Yeah, had, sure. Sure. They don't, they, they don't want us to be oppressed. It's always, they're looking out for they They pretend to be looking out for you. Oh, they, they, they want, they want us to get a job with benefits. Yes. So, they won't, so we don't want you to, can. you know, be <laughs> oppressed. Well, I said, I, I was like, well, I'd rather teach five classes at one campus. Yeah. And that would be fine for me. That would be better than teaching. Uh, six classes at three campuses. I mean, and the question is always as Loyola Marymount say, had a rule that I, the rule, the Loyola Marymount had a rule that I could teach only two classes. Cui bono. I mean, who, whose benefit yeah. was the law? Well, they Answer don't think, they typically don't think about it. They just, yeah. they, it's what, once they have a rationale, they stick with it and then they just repeat it over and over again as if it's true. The same with like uh, uh, abortion, you know, why do you have abortion? Well, um, we're pro-choice. Uh, we're for women's health. And then once they get that one sentence, they just keep repeating it. They don't, <laughs> they don't try to defend it. They just keep repeating it and it usually louder and louder. So the same with the labor laws, it's for your benefit. <laughs> it's so you're not exploited. <laughs> mean, meanwhile, you're being exploited. Yeah, and um, and so anyway, that's a sad story. But I well, mean, yeah. You, so were you an adjunct before? Yeah, I was. In, what was in your Texas. adjunct story? Okay, that was the story after the one in Arkansas came to Texas and adjuncted as many classes as I could at that one community college, and then pieced together 
and other places, including including my alma mater, University of Dallas, and including at a high school. And mm-hmm. teaching high school at a charter school in Dallas was awesome. I loved that oh, cool. job. I mean, but it wasn't a full time job. Nope. So, how many part time jobs did you have when you were at the the busiest semester that you had? I think it was three. Three. You know, and you could. What was your schedule like? How many hours a week were you working? Oh man, uh, just it was like you know, afternoon here, afternoon. You drive across town to the other place. Drive across town to the other place, and um, sixty so, hours. What fifty? Sixty? Yeah, probably about like that. You know, it's a young man's game. I couldn't do it now. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not married and don't have a family, uh, but nonetheless, I just I couldn't. I could I, even then. It was it wore on you, you know, yeah, and uh, it's it's just too much. Right. Yeah. So I came to this job where I teach all my classes just at one place. You know? That's nice. Yeah. But um, how long were you an adjunct? Let's see. Four years. Four years. Yeah. Did my time. <laughs> four years an adjunct. How many years did you, have you, did you do it, Lucas? Fifteen. 11 schools. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Los, Los Angeles. Yep. Over three different counties, Orange County up to Ventura County. You know, well, did you do many online classes? Because in this era, not, COVID, not many. This I era, of COVID, a lot of it's on Zoom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think about that? What do you think about online learning? I think <laughs> the more that they do that, they're eventually going to have us do all these, what they call asynchronous classes where we don't actually have to appear even on zoom with these kids. It's going to be all just, you know, recorded videos. And um, what's going on now is that people are recording this material and it's owned by the university after you yeah. give the lecture. Yeah. I, so I was going to say, right. Us- as soon as you said that, they're going to cut us out. They're going to basically professors will become obsolete. Um, Well, that's interesting because every time all my course stuff that I ever taught online was always owned by me. I hold, I held copyright. There's a way to do that. You record it on YouTube and then you just give the kids a link. Yeah. That's that's, well, you also put it in. We're doing that now. You also put it on your syllabus that it's copyrighted by you. Yep. All of your, all of your class lectures, all that. But I think, so I think some of, you know, just like they tried to screw over adjuncts, they'll probably try to screw people out of their, their classes uh, through the online stuff after this. Um, who's but they, who's but it, they? it doesn't matter. Are you talking about, you talking it, about your own institution? Administrators at, at different universities. Um, not your, not your university? Not, not ours, I don't think, but. Oh, okay. Um, wasn't clear because you were using the word they. I wasn't sure what you were. They you is, yeah, the man, the administ- college administrators. Uh, I think it'll depend on the, on the, well, actually, that's one good thing about a union is a union would prevent that. The union would true. insist that the uh, copyright is held. But actually, each individual professor can insist on that. It'll be in your contract. Uh, so a union would be helpful for that to uh, for the what's in the contract, yes. because, you know, if they don't like if you don't sign the contract and you have to give uh, copyright to this, the institution, then, yes, it would lead to uh, a situation where they would uh, use you to develop courses and then get you out of the kick you out because yeah. <laughs> the, they stole your intellectual property. But the thing is, what are they stealing? It's not even that good. It's so much better to just be in the classroom with someone you can actually talk to. Right. Uh, you know, that, I mean, they're stealing that, but really, what have they, what, what are they gaining? I mean, to me, it's not that much anyway. So <laughs> I was very proud of this, the material I developed for my courses. And I, I would have been really upset if they, 
tried to take it in terms of trying to strong arm me to to sell it to them at a deep discount so that they could use it over and over again but i you know i mean mine was very idiosyncratic too and i i did it that way on purpose because um you know the the, the problem is is that you don't you want to make yourself uh, irreplaceable. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not the same way in terms of the courses I've developed. I mean, yeah. it's, it's very unique to what I, my approach and, but, you know, um, whatever I present though, I've still read so many other books and they're in my mind, you know, and I can talk to people. And students can yeah. talk to me. And, and right. it's a live experience. Uh, right. That's how it should be. That's how the classroom should be, I think. Do you have office hours? Um, I did before all the COVID stuff happened. And now it's it's more, it's definitely much, much more people coming in for appointments rather than, you know. However, my, I've, I've kind of just keep my office door open. I mean, I came to campus as soon as I could during COVID and, you know, more or less just kept my office open door open. But uh, that's, you know, I, I, I haven't, I haven't um, fully mastered the office hour aspect of the job yet. I don't think uh, you, you did that some, right? I did it. I, I made people come to office hours. Absolutely. That's a key part of the whole experience. Students don't want to, but I made them because the classroom is not enough for them. So what I would do is I would not use class time to pass back exams or anything like that. If you wanted to know your grade, you'd have to come into office hours. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would grade it right in front of them. <laughs> so that's how I did it. Um, now I'm talking about quizzes and stuff. I gave pop quizzes, a lot of pop quizzes. Those are my favorites. Five minute quiz, write the question on the board. I don't have to go to the Xerox machine, no computers, just write it on the board. It would be a big ticket item that we covered recently. Be a simple question, something that they could answer in four or five sentences, something like that, sometimes shorter sometimes a little bit longer, usually no more than a half page. Um, you find out what and, they know? Yeah, the way I would grade it, this is how I would grade it, just to simplify it, because I'd have lots of them, right? So, and they, they, I'd give 10 quizzes every semester per class. In some classes, I had 40 students, 50 students. Some I had 10, 30 something like that. So I would just grade it four different grades, zero, one, two, and three. And here's the rationale for each grade. Here's the description. A check mark is, is three points. It's full credit. There's, you, you nailed it. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, and you, and the, I'd have to really craft the question where it would be easy to get that. And it'd be the kind of thing where those are the easiest to grade. I can see probably within three seconds, whether it's a check mark, just for time for me. Usually if there's a problem, it takes more time for me because then I have to decide, is it a two or a one? If it's two, it's mostly correct. If it's one, it's some correct, but it's not most. And then zero would be for a, something that wasn't turned in or was blank or something totally irrelevant. In, in other words, entirely unredeemable. <laughs> and those are easy to grade too. So the, the, distinguishing between a one and a two is hard. Now, here's an interesting thing. The way this is my fight against grade inflation. If you're interested, a two is a 67%. A one is a 33%. 
So there were three, but this, this, there were so many of these. There were, there were low stakes, high frequency grades, low stakes, high frequency. So in other words, if you got a two or a one, you're probably going to have an, another quiz, you know, next week. You know, if it's, if it's a 15 week semester, maybe 16 weeks with spring break, of course you don't meet then, or maybe it's 16 weeks with a final exam week. Most weeks you're going to have a quiz of some kind. You know, the, I think I've only taken one class like this, and it was a math class. Mm-hmm. In fact, okay. Um, it's interesting that a math that it was my math professor who, yeah, actually maybe understood grade inflation too. I don't know. <laughs> well, it would be thirty percent of the grade, and ten quizzes were three points each. Thirty percent. And so if your average was two out of three for the semester, you got a D for, it would be like a getting a D on a paper that was worth 30% of your grade. But, but it, the, each step of that D was so well documented in terms of how you performed over the semester that it was, it was just clear that you, you were not dialed in like you could have been. And the sad thing is, is that you could have easily gotten full credit. I mean, you could have gotten an A plus on this dang thing. It's easy. You do, usually the reason people would get bad grades on the quizzes is if they just didn't show up and they didn't take notes, they were on their phones. They were not paying attention or they didn't do the reading because it would be something very obvious in the reading. And... Um, very rarely would they get a lower grade than a, a full credit if if they were there and they were doing everything they needed to do. And it was hard for me to handle that. But, but you know, I mean, it was like if you if it's a 30 percent grade, you can you can miss a whole quiz. Entirely and still get an A minus because you could get, still get 27 out of 30. So that's how I designed it. And students would inevitably say, um, <laughs> um, they would say, they would say something like, would you please drop the uh, lowest two quizzes or something like that? Other, other professors do that. And I would say, well, I'll, I, dr- I u- usually drop the highest quizzes. Why do you want me to drop the lowest quizzes? I don't understand that. And they would say, what, you dropped the highest quizzes? That's not fair. And, I, and usually, then we have a conversation about what fairness is. So wait, <laughs> hold on a second. Fair, what, so fairness is biased toward your higher grade. Is that what you're saying? Fairness is? I thought it was biased toward your lower grade. What would Ross uh, say let's, about this? Let, let's, uh, let's meet in the middle. <laughs> how about this? How about, we just, uh, how about you just get the grade you earn? Does that sound fair? It's such an old concept. I said, I tell you, sometimes I would say, I'll tell you what, I'll flip a coin. Did, did, did you ever get the veil of ignorance argument to say, no, 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 no. I would no. want behind a veil of ignorance. I would want the higher, the higher grade, <laughs> not the lower one. No, 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 no. Thank God. Yeah. I, I just, uh, <laughs> I would flip a coin and I would say, I tell you what, if it's heads, I'll drop the two highest grades. And if it's tails, I'll drop the two lowest grades. Okay. Yeah. They, they didn't go for it. No. And then eventually they were just like, okay, I'll just, that, that was kind of what I was pushing for is, well, but if you're not there taking notes, what I would notice is that students, here's another thing. Students would ditch the day after an exam. Not, not, not the best students. But, you know, it, it would just be, I would just notice. You need a vacation? Just, <laughs> I don't know. But that, that's when I would give a quiz is the yeah. day after an exam. And I would make it so easy. I would make it the easiest thing. And then they would be like, oh, no, I could have gotten that full credit. Well, can I drop the lowest? No, you can't drop the lowest. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I would do. Do you give quizzes? How, what kind of assignments do you give? 
I probably have my classes too much like it was when we were in graduate school with the big paper at the end and uh, a midterm. And I like midterms. I do too. Um, How do you structure your midterms? Is it essay? Is it, do you give the questions one, in advance? No, one big essay, um, 15 fill in the blank, and then five short answer where it's very factual definitions are explaining something and that's where they lose the bulk of their points usually is in the short answer section uh, if they if they lose points so i, I grade too easy interesting um, way to phrase it losing points yeah exactly i grade too easy uh well i i, I don't say losing points because that would imply that they had them right earn earning points yeah yeah a lot of the way we talk about things is kind of great inflated talk um what well a student will come in and will say you took off points for this and i'll say well i, I didn't take off anything it, it's just that you didn't earn those points you never had them <laughs> um <laughs> it's not it's not that you had them at the beginning of the semester and, and then it's, it's mean old professor coming in and, and taking them away. Um, just the way that, that the, the, re the rhetoric is so great inflated. And uh, I mean, I, I was, you know, wrapped up in that rhetoric too for a while. And then I started kind of pushing back on it. I was like, you know, I, I, you have to train these kids to start thinking in terms of responsibility. And, and a part of it is the way professors have graded they will say minus three or something on a, on a, on an exam or something. And it like, well, why do you say minus three? Um, that implies that the three was there and, and, and you're taking it, it's your action. And so it invites kind of like a litigious, uh, you know, adversarial kind of a response instead of just saying, Hmm. Yeah. I don't see any points there. So don't think you ever had them and this is your final score that i can as far as i can count so the professors that add up they they go plus three i think that's a better way to do it mm -hmm. but that's just me having talked to many many hundreds of <laughs> probably thousands of students about this over 15 years and I, you know, it took me a long time to come to these kind of conclusions too. So I do have the policy of no paper, no grade, you know, mm -hmm. and no late work, you mean, or no, no. If okay. they don't turn into final paper, they just won't pass period. Oh, no. that's a good policy. I like that policy. I have that in my syllabus too, that if, um, if you don't take the final exam and pass it, then you have to pass the final exam to pass the class. <laughs> oh man so uh are you happy i am happy but i'm not you know completely happy you know there's still more to do uh mm -hmm. but i would think you say I am, you're flourishing i would say I'm flourishing yeah okay that's yeah. cool what what contributes to that for you um Part of it is uh, that, you know, my family is doing well uh, and uh, awesome. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the anxiety about money. Like I used to have because I have a good job now. Finally. That's awesome. Uh, that so really happy, so does, happy for you. So I mean, that really does uh, put a, an extra anxiety on you. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, so I, um, I really enjoy writing as well. And so I have the opportunity to do that and got a bunch of friends that I do church league softball and stuff with here, you know? And so life is pretty good here. What are you writing? Tell us about your writing projects. So most recently I did a chapter for an edited volume on uh, Catholic Supreme court justices. And I talked to you a little bit about, one of the things I'm publishing there, the uh, Justice Brad Ka Brett Kavanaugh chapter in there. Uh -huh. I read and, that paper. Uh, Did you make any substantial changes to it? Not not substantial. Um, you know, 
some some changes though uh and just turned it back into them but uh you know i mean the whole the whole chapter could be different after this term though who knows i mean with this big abortion case coming up yeah dobbs um you know i and i mean i even wrote some stuff in there about the covid cases oh yeah which were kind of a test of things too Um, I, i i that was my favorite part of your of your paper Thank was you. the the COVID part, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The COVID test is what I called it. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be paying attention to. That. In fact, I'm going to have to dig your paper up again and look at those cases. I'm going to read those cases. I haven't read them yet. So, man, that that was one thing. So here in Houston, there's a big medical center, mm-hmm. and um, you know, my uncle he he works here at for one of the hospitals, and you know, um when those mandates were coming down about the vaccines, I mean, yeah, that was going to destroy the economy. Uh, and, um, you know, they went half and half and they said, you know, most industries, you won't have to get the man, the, 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 the man, this mandate coming from what it was a department of labor. Um, I think it was OSHA. Yeah. Or OSHA, mm-hmm. OSHA yeah. safety. You know, workplace safety right. going to tell you that you have to, you're going to be mandated a vaccine right? Um, that you didn't even want. Right. Um, you know, and so, I mean, that was just a total mess. And so, I mean, they didn't go all the way in, in disallowing government workers to, uh, in saying that they didn't have to get them, but right. they did something. I think um, that healthcare workers were still mandated to get them. Or they they could be mandated to get them. I think. So I know somebody yeah. lost his job because of that down here, um, and you know, and so thankfully they, they they were pretty generous. A lot of these places in terms of you could apply for a religious exemption. Yeah. Um, and and usually, I mean, the the religions you'd think would be, you know, a limited number that would object to vaccines, but actually, a lot of people got religious exemptions, even if they were like Catholic and things, um, there was, uh, ways to apply for that. Uh, uh, and so, so I know a lot of people who also got religious exemption out of it. Uh, but, um, yeah, so, so it was fun to write that Kavanaugh chapter and, uh, other, article I have almost finished is on um, uh, more philosophy topic, Aristotle. That's what I've been reading these days uh, and writing about one of the virtues, magnanimity, greatness of soul. And, um, and so that's, that's been fun to write. Uh, Go back to the old, old uh, Aristotle for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I've got a new project that I'm hopefully going to get going on and maybe even, maybe even, maybe even bring in some old friends, uh, uh, some old professors to maybe give uh, lectures on as part of a workshop on deliberative democracy. I would like to, I mean, beset one of our old teachers at Claremont. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to try to invite him to give a lecture on that maybe and to have some kind of event on that at some point. Uh, and, and I want to write an article on that myself. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, it's it would a be a way. volume. You mean like a book? Yeah. Maybe do like a collective volume of like essays on that. Um, um, but I talked to Bissette recently and he's, he's now on emeritus status. So he's, he's doing writing and stuff. So that's good. Um, I got to get him to come on. <laughs> oh yeah. We had Rossum on last week. Oh, really? That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah. Did y'all talk about con law at all? Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. We talked about 17th amendment. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I, I just, I had plowed through that book and uh, I'm going to have him come back on a little bit later, probably in the summer about his Indian book, his Indian mm-hmm. gaming book. And there's going to be another big case on Indian gaming here. Yeah. Here, yeah. Here, that will be the perfect gaming. time. That yeah. will be the per. Is it? 
What did, what did you think of his view of federalism in the 17th Amendment? I, I, I taught that book uh, maybe two years ago, and I, I agreed with part of it, but disagreed with it, another part of it on, on federalism oh, in terms of whether the court should have a role in policing right, right. federalism. I, I kind of feel like it should, the court. Uh, That's where I lean, too. But, I mean, I think if anybody was to come close to moving me on that um Rossum. it was in Rossum. <laughs> absolutely R- Rossum made a, a very good attempt at that and so yeah um and i'm still thinking about it um i i did push him on it <laughs> a bit. good yeah i mean um, but we love that we love being pushed on, on yeah yeah he uh professor does. Yeah. i i i said it's it's a little it's a little odd that you like Scalia so much. And I mean, I know I, I did. I disagree with Scalia on a few things, but, but it's just odd that you just, dis- you agree with Scalia so much. And then you're like on Souter's side all of a sudden mm-hmm. on, on federalism and federalism, yeah, on, on the court's role and, and hemming in the, the commerce clause. Um, and I, I think his view is just simple majoritarianism um, that bothers me. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it, it's it's weird because not, not, I, I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say his view is simple majoritarianism. I mean, his view That's of a, what the structure should be is like one hundred percent what the founders said about federalism. I mean, about these states actually having powers. We'll, um, we'll put it this way: he's, he's, who maintains that? He's like, yeah. ah, the court court can't be the one to maintain it. Uh, and right. from my perspective, they've lost so many powers that I just want somebody. Well, that's because he the- doesn't believe in judicial review. I know of, of those kinds of things. Yes. And that's really I think that's the fundamental issue is that his view on judicial review, judicial duty. Yes. So I think that's where I would probably disagree with them. I mean, it's pretty clear that there are different powers, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a complicated topic to talk about on a podcast for people that have not read the book and they don't really know what we're talking about inside baseball. I'm not sure if it's really helpful unless we explain what his view is. His view is that the 17th amendment altered the constitution in, in such a way it, it added to it, but it also, it, what it did was it effectively took away the only check that the founders envisioned for encroachments on federalism. Mm-hmm. And that the, check was how the, the Senate, how the yeah. Senate is, is uh, chosen U S Senate. It was originally set up to be chosen by state legislatures. And then the 17th Amendment changed that to um, have the U.S. Senate be chosen by um, simple majority of, of the state population by, by, I mean, by the voting citizens uh, in an in election, a direct election of the state. And you would think that it's, it's a, a it's, what that effectively means is the Senate views its role differently. In other words, a senator is responsible directly to the people of the state. The demagogic. Yeah, not to the state legislature. Policy entrepreneur kind of way. Yeah, not to the state legislature. Like to the, not to the, um, the people that run the state, basically the state legislature. And so we talked about that, you know, I would just refer you to that episode when it, when it comes out. I look forward to it. Yeah. So, um, but I'd like to have him come on and talk about his books on, on uh, Thomas and and Scalia at some Mm -hmm. point as well. You know, he's retiring, right? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He's retiring. So, so yeah, I'm going to, he'll have more time obviously when he's retired. Yeah. (laughs) um so um tell us about your uh your take on aristotle what's magnanimity so greatness of soul 
Um, I think it's a virtue that um, it actually was contradictory when Aristotle put it forward. I mean, we think about virtues in terms of like courage and justice and moderation and things like that. But magnanimity, there's certain parts of his description of what this great souled man looks like that actually seem to conflict with justice for me in that the, the thing in particular that Aristotle says about the magnanimous man that um, he would look down on others and not want to be grateful for favors done for him. Um, you know, of course, I mean, Aquinas and, a Christ, and other Christians reading this um, will try to kind of explain it away so that that doesn't seem like a, a prideful person uh, and that you wouldn't call a prideful person a virtue, virtuous for that. Um, but the problem, I think, even within Aristotle is, is that that seems to conflict with gratitude, um, which I think is part of the virtue of justice. Um, and so um, there's almost an internal conflict there if, if he's being uh, not, if he has no ability to be grateful um, because uh, inherently we all have depended on other people throughout our whole lives. Um, and the great souled man's unwillingness to acknowledge that dependence and be thankful for it um, is, is not, uh, is not really just, and yet the great souled man is supposed to have all the, the virtue, the, the virtues of character, including justice. And, and he's supposed to take them all to another level. That's, that's the, that's, that's what makes the, the great souled man great is he has all these moral virtues and he makes them all, takes them all to another level. Um, so that's my two bits on, on Aristotle on it. Um, I have been exploring the magnanimous man partially in, in terms of how Aquinas modifies it to make it fit within humility fit with humility. Um, Aquinas seems to use uh, Cicero's framework of the cardinal virtues and situate magnanimity within courage and, and situate moderation, uh, humility within moderation. And so he kind of, he says that they're actually both virtues, but um, they're under different cardinal virtue headings. And he gets that from Cicero, actually, a pagan uh, Roman. Um, and so that, that's interesting. Something I've been looking into. And then, um, I've been also looking into, uh, this phrase that we use now, the greatest of all time, the goat. Uh, a lot of times in sports, people are always arguing, you know, it was, is LeBron James, the goat, or is it Michael Jordan? I mean, there's one right answer to that. It's Michael Jordan. Um, but, <laughs> um, is there, some, when we're talking about greatness, uh, is that in some way related to the, our ideas about magnanimity too? That's something I've been looking into. Hmm. Wow. And will this be like an article that you publish in a magazine or something, or will, will it be something like in a book? Yeah, I, I think that's going to be an art, um, journal, journal article, a long one. Uh, I'm not sure where yet, but um, I've been thinking about it for a while, about a year now. So, will you have any opportunity to teach something like constitutional law there? I've been teaching, like I said, that First Amendment religion clauses class. Yeah, and and I've been switching off, and, and the one I'm teaching now is my First Amendment free speech class. That's okay. what I'm doing right now. Okay. So I ha I haven't gotten to teach constitutional national constitutional law national powers yet because the the one other professor in my department he's a lawyer so i've kind of he's kind of done that part and i've done a lot okay. of the 
more applied or I've taught, I teach the presidency every year. I teach That's cool. every year. Yeah. What do you use for the presidency? Batch for sure. Sweet. Creation of the American presidency. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, what was the other course you said you taught? You, you teach presidency and something else? Congress. Congress. Okay. What do you use for that? Um, one time I did use Bissett's My Voice of Reason, which was how, really good. How'd that go over? It was, was, too, was it too advanced for them? <laughs> no. I mean, because it was like the third book in the class. We'd already done two previous books and uh, they liked it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's, um, I mean, it's the, it's the thing that actually matches up with the founders, the best that I've seen that's written about Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has some of that empirical. What, what else did you use? Well, I um, also used like one of the, the things that beset, um, you know, kind of um, not disagrees with, but, you know, uses as a foil. Is it a um, book? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, What's it called? Uh, Congress, the Electoral Connection, David Mayhew, uh, the classic, the classic rational choice argument that congressmen are just trying to get reelected. And uh-huh. uh, that okay. explains a lot of their behavior. <laughs> hmm. uh, and so Bissett says, well, there's actually, that's not, doesn't explain all their behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't explain um, why they would actually care to mark up a bill carefully and um, actually maybe even change their mind uh, at times mm-hmm. on bills. And yeah. uh, so that's. Okay. Do you ever use Mo- Morris Fiorina's book on Congress? No, I, I, I did the keystone of the establishment. Yeah. Uh, right, right. No, but I, I, I have like a, like a redacted article version of it that I give the kids. Okay. Yeah. What it's, else it's do you cool use for the presidency? Um, what else? Well, uh, let's see. Oh, you know, every time, every time I've taught it, I've used uh, Rodman presidential command. Oh, how's, what's that like? How's that go over? Oh, they, they love it because it, it, it's, you know, all the modern, all the president's, since FDR and um, the way that they've structured their national security mm-hmm. uh, yeah. committee and state department and um, um, learning lessons from yeah. all these incidents, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What course do you like to teach the most? Probably um, this class I'm teaching right now, it's, it's, it's not just in my department. It's a shared course. It's called From Empire to Christendom. And we do a lot of Roman and early Christian texts like Boethius and Augustine. And then also Cicero and the Aeneid and things like that. And I co-teach that with a, a, a theology professor at the school. And um, I just really enjoy Roman stuff. That's, that's a lot of Is fun. Is that the part you take? Yeah, I take the pagan, pagan Roman part. How do you here. teach that? Do you teach it uh, one half the semester? You show up, the other half he's there, or yeah, and is yeah, it so every it, other day, or what is one half? I'm doing guiding the discussion and even giving little spiels and mini lectures sometimes. And you mean half eat one half of each class period, or one half of the semester? How one half of the semester, you okay. know. So I'll I'll take the lead on the text, and and my co-teacher will keep the uh are you each in each classroom yeah we're both there okay the, the other so you're there for the whole time the other professor's there uh writing down who wants to, to talk next the queue oh okay so how is that beneficial for the university to, to pay two people to teach that it's just um probably not the most efficient way of using there, resources, but are there two, uh, twice as many students? Um, I don't know. It's, it's about the same, but it's, it's an honors course. And so I think they're willing to spend a little bit more on okay. an honors course by having Do you take courses. a pay cut teaching it. No, same pay. Interesting. Yeah. That's what, a cool. What, class. What's the school? What's the school called again? St. University Thomas? of St. Thomas. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm paying attention. 
interesting. Um, are you ever going to teach a class on the Second Amendment? I usually teach a class <laughs> or Fourth Amendment, a class session, a class session, but not a full class. Okay. Um, did okay. do you ever did you ever hear about the whole Bancroft Prize incident? Somebody got this famous history prize. Um, writing about he wrote a history book about um, gun culture in America and saying it wasn't that important. Like it's a total revisionist history that was nonsense. How long ago was this? This is about 20 years ago. And they found out that this guy literally was making stuff up and he, and, but they gave him the, like the most prestigious history, American history award for that year. They gave it to him and they took the award back. What was the name of the guy? Um, I can't, I can't remember his name, but just look up Bancroft second amendment. It's, it's legendary. And this guy, and, and if you look on like his, like about the story at the end of the story, it says this professor is now working as a bartender. (laughs) Can you send me a link to the particular article you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Send that to me. I'll follow up on it. Now I'd like to have an episode on that. Maybe you, can help out, me. Maybe you can help me develop it. It's legendary. That sounds good. Yeah, Lucas, yeah. That sounds that sounds like a good topic. Lucas, I'm gonna have to uh, eventually. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, coming on, coming on. It's been great talking to you, Lucas. Yep, it has been catching up, and I'm glad. We're- well, thanks for coming on, Chris. We really appreciate you your time and uh, catching up with you. Lucas, keep up the good work. Thank you. <laughs>